0: Derek Norris, why not? 361 on base last year. The Padres bring in Will Middlebrooks from Boston, uh, third baseman. Have we figured out where Justin Upton's going? Is this a done deal? He's going where everyone else this offseason has gone San Diego. Wow. Justin Upton to the Padres.
1: This is the December 21st edition of the Guintelligence Podcast. to another emergency edition of the Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, or maybe formally Change the Padres, I don't really know. Joined, as always, by Padres Jagoff.
0: I am here after the arguably best day of the Padres offseason in history. It's definitely the best day I can remember in Padres offseason history. Um, and
1: actually, I, I would even put it up there with some of the uh, regular season feats the Padres have had, um, just because, you know, even going back to something like 2010, where they had some nice, you know, clutch wins uh, during that post run or almost post-season run, it never really felt like they were true, you know, contenders. But now, after yesterday and all the excitement, I'm, you know, I'm bullish on the Padres for 2015.
0: Oh, I'm bullish as well. I, I mean, I will go ahead and say 98-84 are better, um, because... The whole goal of this offseason is to get to the point that we got to in 84 and 98. Or past it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. ideally past it. Uh, I mean, I didn't bring up 96, 2005, you know, all the first-round exits. But, you know, the goal is to get to the postseason and win a World Series. And we're not there yet. Right. But as far as days go, this is, this is a this has been a pretty good couple
1: of days. Yeah, so let's recap the last few days. So on the most recent podcast, we discussed – uh, the Will Myers trade. That was on the heels of the previous podcast where we discussed the Matt Kemp trade. We have three new trades to discuss in this podcast. So let me just recap uh, two of them here to start because I think they're somewhat related. Um, the Padres dealt Jesse Hahn and RJ Alvarez for uh, also our catcher Derek Norris and another minor league piece. Uh, in addition, they went ahead and traded Ryan Hannigan, who they had just acquired in the Will Myers trade, and we discussed for about I don't know, five or ten minutes on the last podcast, which is now a waste of time. And we all liked. <laughs> yeah. And we are very bullish on Ron Ryan Hannigan. Indeed. And we got a um, Will Middlebrooks, a buy-low candidate, third-base prospect for the Boston Red Sox, who actually was in my offseason season uh, plan earlier in the uh, off-season, and I'll link you to that here uh, on the podcast homepage. So uh, what are your takeaways from these two moves?
0: Um, I don't know very much about Will Middlebrooks other than that I've heard his name a lot since 2012 or so. Um, he, w- he was a former top prospect, and as I said in our Will Myers Emergency Podcast, if I'm going to bet on someone, I like the idea of betting on a top prospect that many, many scouts have evaluated and agreed that is one of the top prospects in baseball. Uh, as far as his performance last year, it's not very exciting. His steamer projections for next year are not very exciting. But let's keep in mind that our previous starting third baseman was Yanger Vistelarte, who's not very exciting. So again, if I'm going to bet on one of the two, uh, I'm going to bet on the top pro- the, the person with the top prospect pedigree.
1: Right. And, you know, for as bad as his projections are, I think most of that is based on his on-base percentage being basically sub-300, but he does have 800, a little bit over 800 plate appearances at the major league level and has 34 home runs, which is nothing to scoff at, in my opinion, because he's not going to be relied upon to be a power hitter. He's kind of a, you know, a buy-low player that you can bat sixth or seventh in the Potters lineup, maybe even eighth, I don't know. And if he provides 15 home runs or 20 home runs like he has historically, that's going to be a huge boon to
0: the offense. Huge, yeah. I, I don't know much about his fielding. I would have read he's not, a, he's not Chase Headley at third base, but um, he's not terrible at the same time.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen him play, really. I think I might have seen him maybe on one or two ESPN broadcasts, but I, I tend to stay away from the Red Sox. I just can't stand watching them.
0: Well, uh, part, of, part of the reason for that is, and, and a lot of people have written about it, but the Red Sox um, minor league system, their top prospects often get hyped a ton, uh, you know, to the point that, that they end up being overvalued the way I see it. And a lot of people have said, Will Middlebrooks is, is a prime example for that overvaluing of their farm system. Uh, Because at the start of 2012, he was Boston's number one top prospect. I mean, he was their Austin Hedges. He's still really young. And,
1: I mean, if we want to – okay, so I'm going to decouple these two trades for a second because we dealt Ryan Hannigan, and I know we both talked about how he had some sneaky value, especially against left-handed pitching, had very good defensive metrics, was signed for the next two years at about $7 million. They bring in Will Middlebrooks, and he's team-controlled for another five years. So they keep adding – These guys who are young Mm -hmm. or at least not old in the sense that, you know, the oldest guy they've gotten back here is Matt Kemp, who's 30, and that's not that old. And all these guys are team controlled for five years. So they have basically added a core. And doing it in exchange for a catcher who, um, you know, I think you and I both liked, but maybe necessarily uh, wasn't going to improve seeing as he was 34, was going to cost some money. I know it's not a lot when you're talking 7 million, but compared to, Will Middlebrook's making major league minimum before arbitration. I mean, that's, that's a Josh Johnson. That's a Brandon Morrow. That's another reasonable piece the Padres can,
0: you know, add to the roster. And I don't think you can totally say, Oh, we're the Yankees and Dodgers now with payroll. I mean, to some degree we are the same old Padres as far as payroll constraints. Um, I mean, obviously they're spending a little more as of now. Um, but you know, three to four million dollars is a fairly big chunk for this team. And if you look over the past five years, a, a three to four million player is is a pretty important player to this team. And not to say Hannigan's not, but he provided short-term value, not long-term value. And it, from what it looks like, Preller's trying to mix the two. You know, adding short-term pieces and then also building that core that you talked about. And if he hits, you know, if he hits and he's he's produces, that that's a huge coup. And in the end, we really didn't give up. That much. I mean, we essentially traded Brene Rivera for him.
1: Yeah, and and they're going to replace him here with Derek Norris, the guy from uh, the other trade here. Twenty-five-year-old catcher, one of the best beards I've ever seen in baseball,
0: and very Thayer-esque.
1: Yes, and you know, excellent on-base percentage skills at the catcher position. Granted, he's pretty awful defensively. I don't know if you remember. Um, in the postseason, the Royals had something like five steals off him, and I'm pretty sure he had a path ball in that same game. Yes, so,
0: yes a terrible game.
1: There's a lot to be desired there. Um, and, you know, the pitch framing metrics, which is something we talk about very frequently because the Padres did have two of the best ones in Yasmani Grandal and Rene Rivera, they're not favorable for him either. But I've I kind of so I've been thinking about that, though. How much do you think pitch framing is... About coaching, do you think there's anything to maybe the way I, I don't know who works with the catchers for the Padres? I don't pay attention enough to uh, to developmental stuff to see if that's something the bench coach helps with, or I don't know if Falsley helps with that. But how much do you think part of that is Padres? Like, you know, Renee Rivera moving to the Rays, maybe his pitch framing numbers go down because he's not coached as well or not directed as well behind the plate.
0: Well, I think you have to give them some credit. I mean. I don't, we don't have enough data sitting here on this podcast to make, you know, causality, uh, d- decisions, but, um, I mean, the, 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 the evidence shows that, that there must be some correlation. Um, I mean, Yasmani Grandal was not ever hailed through his minor league career as, as a good defensive catcher. And he obviously has weaknesses now, but, uh, I think that his abilities with the pitch framing have developed over the years here. Um, yeah, Rivera and, and, has always been known as a pretty good defensive catcher, but, and, and part of it is that the emphasis on pitch framing has really exploded in the past year or two.
1: Yeah. And I wonder just how long that'll even matter because, you know, pitch framing only matters until they go to electronic balls and strikes. Cause once they yes, do that, yeah. there's no such thing as pitch framing, right? It's right. all a computer. Yeah. So, um, and you know, I hope they go to pitch, uh, to electronic balls and strikes because, First of all, I think the technology these days is good enough to determine when a very small sphere crosses a uh, cube. I don't think that's very difficult to uh, figure out anymore, um, especially if you look at the pitch effects data we, we get. I mean, right? They're already doing pretty it. cut and dry. I mean, yeah. in order to determine pitch framing numbers, you need to have the ability to electronically register balls and strikes. So, right. That's already there, and I would hope that they would go to that for uh, you know purity reasons to keep. You know, strikes should be strikes and balls should be balls. It doesn't matter who's throwing and who's catching. Um, So, I don't know. Maybe before the end of Norris's contract, which again, he's on his rookie deal, so he's still signed for another four or five years. Four years. Four years, yes. Before the end of that, maybe they will already have gone to this
0: and pitch framing will be obsolete, which would be a boon to his value. Yeah, so I took a... I know that this was a, a later at night uh, trade a few nights ago, and Twitter and the fan base went crazy when they saw this. And I think I took a contrarian view, not to be a contrarian, but I don't i don't love the trade at all. Um, I mean, I'm not saying Derek Norris is a bad catcher. He's got on-base skills. He's clearly limited defensively. Um, but I think that the value of Jesse Hahn is a lot higher than, than – what it is for Derek Norris. And then on top of that, I started reading people speculating that, oh, maybe Derek Norris can platoon or play first base. And you look at his stats and you put that into first base and you basically have Yonder Alonso. I mean, he's not – hes not he he would be a sub-league average first baseman. Um, He's not going to hit you a a ton of home runs. He's maybe in the 10 to 15 range. I I haven't looked at how Petco would affect him. But he's a good – he's good offensively for a catcher for sure but i think that the value i still say that the value of jesse han and possibly rj alvarez is, is better and i think it kind of ties into the general belief that and i read it this morning someone used the word phenomenal to describe the Padres' starting rotation and i think that that's uh not true and the stats don't back it up um not only are they not as good as i think a lot of fans think they are but the, the durability issues of this starting rotation are practically begging to have quality depth like Jesse Hahn. And um I mean if I could do it over again I, I would I would I would rather have Hannigan and I would rather have uh, well, I don't know. I I, I get the Hanigan trade, but um and I, and I like the acquisition of Middlebrook. And it's hard because it's all it's all interconnected. But if there was anyone we could have given up other than Hahn, I would have been much happier. With with the result of the of the of the whole cycle of trades.
1: Yeah, so I think this one will hinge very much on the health of Jesse Hahn over the next couple of years. Because if you recall, he was going to be a high first round pick. He blew out his arm. The Rays still drafted him in something like the sixth round or something like that. Um, and he's had some other uh, issues since then. Um, so, and and again, he is very reliant on his breaking pitch, and those are things that generally. Um, exacerbate injury problems. So, I mean, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I ranked Jesse Hahn very high on the Padres value list before this offseason, um, and RJ Alvarez for that matter. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm, I think I'm a little bit more bullish on Derek Norris's offense. And not only has he had, like, yes, good offensive seasons for a catcher at the major league level, his minor league track record is very strong. He was always rated as a as a uh, top prospect since, yes. I think, maybe his second year in the minor leagues. Right. I don't think I, was, he wasn't a first-round pick, but I think he produced so well so early that he was put on that radar very quickly.
0: Right, and I was living in D.C. at the time and followed the Nationals somewhat. I mean, he was, one, he was either the one or two top prospect in the National System for yeah. more than one year. And I think... I still think
1: there's offensive projection there in the sense that I think he's going to grow. I don't think what we're seeing now is the best out of him, somewhat in the same way of Zia's Monte Grandal. Uh, Everyone always thought that there was more in his bat than what was uh, shown in his statistics. And so if he can grow from that, I do think he he could become a league average first baseman, but I don't want him to play first base. I want him to uh, improve defensively and then potentially when Austin Hedges is ready, you have a very awesome duo behind the plate and you have an offensive catcher who can uh, catch against teams that aren't threats on the base paths. And then you have a defensive catcher with, you know, some offensive problems potentially uh, that you can play against teams that might be able to take advantage of that. Um, And that would be a very healthy, very strong platoon that would be making very, not a lot of money because uh, they're both pre-arb at this point.
0: Yeah. And again, my issue is not with Derek Norris per se. Um, the projections hate him next year. I mean, they love Grandal. They seem to like Hannigan. They don't like Norris next year. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about how the projections are developed to understand why. But again, my, my issue is not with acquiring Norris. I think he's a fine catcher. He's certainly an upgrade offensively. But to tell you the truth, I would have rather traded Kaschner than Hahn. I mean, if you're going to take an injury risk, um, I'd rather take the one with more control. and with similar. He, he had similar results to Kaschner last year. Um, I think it was Fangraphs who had uh, an analysis of the power of his pitches, the quality of his pitches, and they're all very high. Uh, he gets a lot of swings and misses. He's, he's got good you know secondary statistics. And, I mean, my issue is what we gave up more than what we got. I mean, I think what we got was good. I just wish there was a different way that we could have gone to get it. Um, and I know I know Mike D and, and Preller and the front office is dead set on keeping that front three together. And sometimes I question the wisdom of that, or if it's really worth it, but yeah, I mean, it's done. So,
1: right, and so I think on aggregate, those two trades, I, I do like it because there's so much upside and control. And as much upside as there is on Han and Alvarez, I would much rather have the upside on offensive players uh, than pitchers, especially on a team that can do things like signing Josh Johnson and Brandon Morrow's to low risk, high reward, even if they're still, um, you know relatively large injury risks. I still like the ability to do that. Whereas, you know, Nelson Cruz signing a one year, $8 million deal in Baltimore last year, he would have never done that in Petco. Um, But that said, I do agree with you in the sense that I don't think the Potters have an excellent starting pitching staff, not at all. And uh, I do think Andrew Kashner has the upside of a number two, potentially maybe perform as a low end number one sometimes, but he hasn't put that together in a full season.
0: And add in if he stays healthy, which is said every year, and he never stays healthy. And if you look at the Padres' recent history, pretty much every player that we've had to add that that qualifier onto did not stay healthy. Yeah, and you can say this. You can you
1: know lump Tyson Ross in that same group, and Ian Kennedy, I I really like. I think that's a strong number three for the Padres. After that, though, yeah, I mean we're relying. First of all, Josh Johnson won't be back until May at the earliest. Uh, Brandon Morrow. Has thrown something like 50 innings over the last two years, and he hasn't been productive in a while. As much as I do like his upside, which I think is significant,
0: I, I know, think Johnson, Johnson and Morrow both have upside. But if you look at their most recent performances, you know where I presume they were healthy. I mean, they threw 50; they, they were healthy enough to throw 50 to 80 innings or so, and their performance was was terrible. I mean, they they, they were better than Eric, I'll say they're better than Eric Stoltz, but they're not. They're not championship caliber starting pitchers. Right. I think what their name I, recognition would, would lead you to believe they are. Right. I
1: think the point you and I are both getting at is that the Padres still need another, you know, mid to top of
0: the rotation arm to, yes. to truly compete. Now, at the same time, I think that, th- I, I assume, you know, unless Whistler just totally sucks or gets injured, that the plan will eventually be to bring Whistler up this year. Um, but personally, again, I would have rather traded Whistler than Hahn. Um, but I guess that's personal preference to some degree.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure which of those two I like more. I I, I did have a difficult time ranking them uh, in the Padres ranking series, um, which I'll link you to here if you want to go back and look at how funny that is based on the (laughs) acquisitions the Padres have now made. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from there. I wouldn't blame you for wanting Jesse Hahn over Matt Whistler just based on the Major League... You know, production already out of Jesse Hahn, and Matt Whistler hasn't done that yet. In fact, he struggled at AAA. Um, But, you know, Matt Whistler's really young still for his age and stuff. And um, he's always had, you know, top prospect
0: labeling. So, I don't know. We'll see. I do think we're going to see him in San Diego this year um, at some point, but... And, and people forget to Spanier was good sometimes, but he was also very, well, they're rely very him consistent. As, I mean, there was, there, there was a stretch where we all thought that he was going to get demoted to the bullpen or, or drop out of the starting rotation. And I think if it weren't for some injuries that he may have. So, I mean, he's not a slam dunk either at the, at the, well, number. you
1: right. I, know, I think you and I discussed this on one of the earlier podcasts uh, in, in our quintology podcast history, you know, about the odds of, Despaigne even being part of the starting rotation in 2015, and I think at the time I think we both said below 50%, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that still holds now. I know, you know, he he did have some promising starts. I mean, he almost threw the first no hitter in Padres history uh, last year, but he kind of seems to be a little gimmicky. I, I don't really well, know.
0: The only thing saving him now is that Josh Johnson isn't going to come back till May or so. So he may start the season in the rotation, but he's not going to be there very long. Unless he yeah, and, you know, puts up some numbers.
1: Well, and also, I, I don't know when you actually need a fifth starter in April. I, I haven't done the analysis yet on you know the schedule, but generally speaking, you can go a couple times through the rotation in April without needing your fifth starter. The Potters have done that many times in the past. So uh, it might even be a thing where he starts in long relief before even getting a start.
0: Well, I'm not sure that they would hide him, though. I mean, they, they do need to find out what he's got in him still before they make the i mean the thing with morrow and johnson is they built in to their contracts the possibility that they would both be in the bullpen i mean there are separate incentive structures for starting and for relieving for both of them so the option was clearly put on the table to both of them that there's a chance that they'll both wind up both or one of them may wind up in the bullpen so it's not definitely a slam dunk that they'll be in the rotation and i think that you know bud black aj preller whoever needs to at least see some performance to evaluate which two of the three are going to be in the rotation, you know, come May. Yeah. Yep.
1: I, I mean, I think at this point, first of all, I, predicting anything now for the Padres is very uh, difficult. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of uh, almost, uh, you know, just foolish, and it, it almost seems like it's going to be obsolete in a week anyway. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested to see what what happens going forward. Um, but let's let's not forget a, a, another huge move the Padres made yesterday. Um, here, I'm going to play a clip from our most recent podcast, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up from
0: there. For 2015, I, I want Justin Upton. <laughs> I think having him in the middle of the lineup with Matt Kemp um, is, would be incredible.
1: So it looks like uh, the Padres heard you, man. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. It looks like
0: I've got a powerful voice. I yes. may be blacklisted by Wayne Partello, but they listened to my baseball operations advice. Yep.
1: Uh, unlike Congressman Scott Peters, who saw his two favorite players, he mentioned Yasmani Grandal and Jesse Hahn, shipped away in, you know, less than two weeks.
0: Yes. Yeah. The curse of Peters.
1: Yep. I, I I wouldn't necessarily call it a curse though. If you look at the roster these days. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. So let's discuss the whole Justin Upton trade. Uh, this one blew me away because the Padres traded volume in exchange for very high one-year production. So they dealt.
0: Also, the timing of it was very surprising. I mean, the Norris trade was the night before. The fan base was ecstatic. And then you wake up in the morning. I mean, I was driving to work, and I, I think uh, for whatever reason, I had David Jeff on 1360, and they mentioned that, uh, hey, uh, it looks like we're getting Upton," And uh, then I exploded. This was at like 7, no, not even 7, like 6, probably 6.40 in the morning. I mean, just the lumping of these moves was, was uh, shocking. Right. But, okay, let's discuss, or at least let me tell the
1: listeners the entire trade here before uh yes. we keep going. The Padres dealt Jace Peterson, Dustin Peterson, uh, outfield prospect Malik Smith, and uh, top pitching prospect Max Freed, who was a first-round pick uh, of the Padres a couple years ago. Um, in exchange, they got... Justin Upton, and a, I believe a mid-level prospect or low-level prospect.
0: Yeah, uh, Northgate, something Northgate, Alex Northgate or something.
1: Yeah, so if you look at this, they gave away Max Fried, who was uh, you know, a very reputable prospect, someone I didn't necessarily believe in. Uh, I mean, I wrote a piece this offseason about how he's a bust, um, and he's also coming off Tommy John surgery. I, I'm okay losing him. They traded Jace Peterson, who I think never really got a fair shot, and – Someone I would have liked to have seen, uh, you know, maybe be given a chance in short uh, at shortstop this spring, especially if we're just going to go in there with Amoristas, uh, and Varmus. Um, Dustin Peterson was a low-level, uh, basically third base prospect, although they had moved him recently to left field. He looks to have a, a, a power stroke, and actually, I, I kind of liked him as a prospect, uh, maybe a little bit underrated. Uh, then outfielder Malik Smith, who I believe led all of minor league baseball in stolen bases. Uh, also had a 400 on-base percentage in, in uh, A-ball this year.
0: I'm not going to miss any of them, to tell you the truth. I mean, the closest I'll come to missing is, I think, Malik Smith. I'm intrigued with his speed. But the course of players with his skill sets is usually it's usually not good. Um, he's He's basically Luis Durango, if you remember him from a few years ago. Very I fast. Had some OBP skills early in his career at the lower levels. And I just think the odds of those guys really you know, turning into Willie, Willie, uh, Willie McGee or someone, it, it's pretty low. Um, Max Freed, I was totally with you as far as being a bust. I, I, don't, I think it's difficult enough to recover from Tommy John surgery, and he wasn't blowing hitters away before then, which is what your post talked about. I mean, dominant pitchers at that level are blowing away the competition, and he wasn't doing that. Yeah, not only blowing away the not competition, but like this upcoming, this upcoming season, right? I mean, the earliest they're thinking of him coming back is maybe for Arizona Fall League 2015. Yeah, and I just don't see how
1: I, – I don't, I don't get it because his future upside, you know, based on when he was drafted, he wasn't even projected as a number one. They said he was a projectable left-hander with uh, maybe a plus curveball and and, and good fastball command at, as, while being a left-handed pitcher, which are you know is a useful thing, but it's not like you're picking Madison Boomgarner or Clayton Kershaw. So at the time they made the pick, I was already kind of upset that they chose him. Uh, and then, yeah, he's had very lackluster seasons. Now, if you were to take those seasons and put them in the major leagues and say these are his numbers in the major leagues, he's a useful player, but that's not how it works, as I outlined in that post players that even become useful at the major league level blow away the competition in the minor leagues. And he wasn't doing that. And so um, I think we get into this, you know, this uh, rut where we look at minor league statistics and we just imagine, you know, imagine those statistics at the major league level, but that's not how it works. You know, as they progress, they face better and better players. And those statistics come, you know, come down. And there's a reason why, you um, you know, players that put up 12 strikeout per nine ratios don't do that in the major leagues because it's just not possible to do that. So if you're putting up a six or seven strikeout per nine inning ratio in the minor leagues, you know, that doesn't translate at all at the major league level. No. I mean, unless you're a really heavy ground ball pitcher or something like that, but he's not. And once you throw in, I mean, even if he was healthy, I would still be okay with his trade. And the fact that he has a Tommy John surgery, I'm... Yeah, I don't miss him at all. I'm I not mean, going to. The there. thing is,
0: the supplemental pick that we're going to get for not re-signing Justin Upton is probably going to going to impact the major league team faster than Max Fried was going to. So, to me, M- Max Fried Yeah, and not just I, I don't miss him at all. I mean, of the players, I probably miss him I probably miss him third out of the four. Who who do you miss least out of those four? Uh well, I uh, uh, I won't really miss Jace Peterson. I, I didn't think he had a huge, I mean, I would have liked to have seen him get a shot maybe in spring training, but I think realistically he's got utility player written on him. Um, and the Padres, I mean, as far as value goes, I I don't think they're having trouble finding utility players. So I, I'll miss Peterson. No, and and I'll, I'll miss Dustin, uh, Dustin Peterson. And I'll miss Malik Smith more than Max Freed. Yeah. I think my order
1: is probably pretty similar. I think it's, Uh, probably Dustin Peterson, just because I do like those uh, power minor league bats. I think those guys can can grow and become useful major league players.
0: Then I I And he plays third base base also, which I think in this system would add value. But, yeah, go on.
1: Yeah, and and, and Malik's, I guess, is intriguing in the sense that maybe he's a leadoff hitter at some point in time, just based on his on-base skills and stolen bases. But, uh, I mean, I'm going to trust the scouts on this one, and not just that. Yeah, I think I would I would almost trade those four guys together for a first round pick. Like I would almost do that. And uh, if the Padres don't re-sign Justin Upton and they get a first round pick out of it, I mean, I still think that's fantastic. Like
0: I'm yeah, I'm happy with that. Definitely.
1: Um, speaking of which, do you think there's any chance? I know you published the myth of uh, you know the ability when you trade for these guys to re-sign them in their final free agent season or final season before free agency, do you think there's any chance that Potterys re-sign Justin Upton to a long-term deal before uh, next offseason?
0: No. But that's not for lack of trying. I imagine they'll make an offer. It may not be publicized, but I imagine they'll have talks with his agent at some point. But my belief is more based off of from the player's standpoint and the agent's standpoint. There's no economic reason for Justin Upton to sign an extension with the Potters without testing the market first. Now, that's not to say that they won't re-sign him in free agency. I guess that's a possibility. But uh, as an economic unit, I don't see why Upton wouldn't at least get competitive offers, especially when he's going to be one of the top free agents next year. Not just one of the top free agents, you know, based on his the quality of his
1: uh... – Play, but the fact that you know he was called up in Arizona at such a young age, the age of, I think of 20 or 21. Yeah, he'll be 28. I think, he'll be, hitting, I think yeah, he'll be hitting free agency in his prime. And so you know, teams, you know, teams generally sign 30-year-olds to you know six-year deals. I wouldn't be surprised to see Justin Upton get like an eight-year contract uh, because you know you would be purchasing you know about three four years of prime production. Um, so I wouldn't be super surprised to see him get a, uh, I think, what most of us would think is an absurdly long contract. But I will say this. A.J. Perler was asked about this, actually, uh, yesterday. And his response was kind of uh, interesting. He's, he basically said that you, there, there was some value there in having him and having the ability to re-sign him. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, and that the Padres, you know, what you like to do in these sort of things is monitor how the guy is on a day-to-day basis and before you make that determination if you want to offer him the extension. And I think what that is saying is kind of what I heard a bunch of pundits say the last few days on why Upton's been traded now twice. Maybe there's some clubhouse issues or maybe there's, um, you know, maybe he's not the best at, you know, effort-wise, I don't know. But, But it was an interesting comment, I thought, from A.J. Preller
0: yeah and I feel like I've read some some rumblings of stuff like that, but I mean, in the end, it's a financial transaction, you know, and there's not a lot of motivation to take less in a financial transaction, especially when you couple it with you know what we were talking about you know only two or three weeks ago that free agents will spurn San Diego based off of Peco Park's reputation um you know, Upton's not – this isn't his last contract. I mean he's signing his upcoming free agent contract. And in the back of his agent's head is trying to position him for one more contract after that. And, and coming to San Diego, I mean he's not going to give you a discount if, if that's what you're looking for. And, and honestly, I mean he wants market rate. And it's going to be – the only way you can get market rate is by at least entering the market and establishing your value.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't expect him to be signed long term. I mean, I think just for the sake that uh, what you wished for last podcast has come true. That you should say publicly right now that you hope he gets re-signed to a long-term contract. I do. Yes. All right. Good. Now that we but, have that on record. But,
0: but the whole point of my post was that fans that think that trading for him that there's additional value in uh, in some kind of exclusive signing period with him, that that value is 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 little to none pretty much non existent if you look at if you look at history um, if you look at history of that. Yeah so I mean, when, you, I just, when you view this uh, trade and evaluate this trade, it's purely our prospects versus Upton in twenty fifteen and Alex Northgate. I, I don't think there's any additional opportunities values pick. in yeah and the and, and the draft pick. Yeah. There's no other intangible values that should be weighing on that on that trade evaluation.
1: What if what if Ron Fowler went to Okay, no, I'm not gonna go there. I, I know I'm I'm getting carried away already with the Padres, but I'm not I'm not gonna speculate on what they would be willing to pay Justin Upton. I was gonna say what if what if they were gonna you know, willing to match whatever the agent wanted just so they could actually get that superstar. Um, do you think the agent well you know, what figure would the agent even throw out there?
0: Two hundred million dollars.
1: For how many years?
0: Eight years, twenty five million a year, I think would be probably well, to not even test the market, I guess you would probably ask for more than what his perceived market value is. So, I don't yeah. know, two, 225, eight years, 250, eight years probably? Match the A-Rod deal?
1: How would you – okay, so that said, imagine the Padres did that. Now, that's an extreme leap. How would you feel about that contract?
0: I mean, it's not coming out of my pocket. So, I mean, I would be in – I'm, I'm in favor of it. I, I Look with payroll, I'm kind of torn about it. I, I know the general feeling of the fan base is that ah, oh, we've taken on all these salaries. We've got two, fourteen, fifteen million dollar outfielders now. The thing is, had we gone into this off season and I told you, hey, the team's going to raise their payroll from ninety to a hundred million, about ninety to a hundred million dollars, which is about what twelve, thirteen percent, twelve percent, would you have been totally ecstatic about that at the time? I mean. I, I think that, I think that the change to Padre's stance originally was that you know adding payroll is key to competing. Yes, trading is trading value that we have. It's not adding value per se. Yep, I agree. Um, the thing is we're, so, we, so we've added what 12 percent. I imagine there's going to be some salary dumps. I don't think I, either you know, we're going to get rid of something. Venable Seth Smith, Carlos Quentin, some part of Carlos Quentin's contract. So let's say we whittle it back down to 100 million. I mean, are you satisfied with that? I mean, we added these players, but... I think so, because here's why. Um, I still think it's a little...
1: $100 million on the dot, I still think that's a little low in the sense that if you go look at all the World Series winners historically, almost every single one of them would be at a higher salary rank, you know, compared to the rest of the league than the Padres. And so I still perceive that as a disadvantage. Uh, but at the same time, the length of, for example, Matt Kemp's contract... Five years, seventy-five million. I mean, that is the largest contract the Padres have ever had on the record. So it's not like they're going out and paying Josh Johnson eight million one year, uh, you know, in one season to increase the payroll up to a hundred million dollars. That's not how they're doing it. Uh, they have, you know, taken on a long-term contract. They have traded for a top-end guy, uh, and not just that, but they traded away future value. Well, maybe future value. A lot of these. Pro- I hate saying future value with some of these prospects because. Some of them have a very small chance of making it, but Mm -hmm. trade away future value for guys that right now don't make a lot of money because they're making major league minimum, but will be going to arbitration soon. And so there is a long-term financial commitment to those guys as well. I know that's kind of a a, a weird way of looking at it, but I mean, it won't be very long before uh, Will Myers is probably making $10 million a year. right? So so I think the long-term outlook payroll wise is, is up. I don't think it's one of those things where, they prop it to 100 million, and then next year have the ability to drop it to 70. I think it'll be a lot more difficult for them to do that, um, and I don't know if they want to do that. Like I, I, think my outlook has changed like completely.
0: Well, some of the, some of the. So you asked me originally if I'd be happy if they signed Justin Upton to an eight-year, 250 million dollar contract. Personally, right. yeah, of course, I would be happy to have Justin Upton in his prime in a Padre uniform. At the same time, we're going to have Kemp for five more years. So you combine the two, you're paying what 40, 45 million dollars for the two players. Yeah, um, and I, so I think some, some of the answer to that question is based on if we truly believe that payroll is going to continue increasing. Because paying 40, 45 million dollars for two players on a 90 to 100 million dollar payroll going forward, after trading 10 of the top 30 prospects in the system, is not necessarily the best way to continue winning. It is for 2015, but but we don't want 2014 coming around again in, you know, 20, 2018 or something. Right. And I, I guess I think what, still, we should, still should be applying pressure for that payroll to go up because it's still well below league average right now.
1: Of course. And I, I think the question I was trying to get at and, and maybe didn't do a, a great job of doing this is, at what point do we stop cheering on adding payroll simply to add payroll and, and get better? Uh, and start analyzing the moves for their merits. For example, you know, paying Justin Upton 250 million dollars for over eight years, I see you know a very slim chance that that ends up being a fantastic deal or a good deal, right? Like there are many, many ways to spend 250 million dollars. And now, granted, I will be ecstatic if they did that because that would that would basically cement the Fowler ownership group as a very, very good one in Padres history in terms of willingness to try to win the World Series. Uh, But at the same time, that would be, you know, I think you would be crossing the line from uh, cheering on salary additions because it makes the team better and more watchable and crossing that line uh, in terms of analyzing the moves for their merits. Uh, do you get what I'm saying? I'm not really articulating this very well. but
0: I, I get what you're saying, but I think that fans need to keep focus on the fact that the end goal is to win a World Series. I mean, obviously, we want a more watchable product than 2014, especially you as a new season ticket holder. Yep. But uh, I think that there's also a need to keep an eye on the long-term prize of, of building a winner. And don't get me wrong, I think in 2015 I'm very bullish on this team. Um, I was reading – I think it's Beyond the Box score projected them high 70s, 80 maybe this morning um, and said they're still not a contender. Um, I'm not entirely – I mean I think there are pieces to add. We talked about it earlier, but I I think that they're a contender.
1: I I do too, and I don't necessarily – okay. Okay. I don't like being a slave to projections, and it's interesting because you know I work in predictive analytics. That's what I do for a living. And I just think there's, first of all, there's, there's a couple things here. There's a large error margin in terms of what they predict for team wins above replacement and what ends up happening. And about 15% of the time, the projected wins above replacement is off by 10 wins above replacement. And so... That's a large air margin. And on top of that, there's another air margin, which is sometimes a team will have 30 wins above replacement, but they'll actually win more games than the 30 bu- wins above replacement would, you know, predict them to win. So there's and and that's just based on, you know, timeliness. You know, a player might hit 220 with five home runs, but if all five of those home runs come in close games, well, you know, his on-field production just based purely on the luck and timing aspect of when he produced is larger than what you know the wins above replacement value says it is, and when once you add those two you know variances together, you know you end up with a very wide spectrum of what can happen. And I think the Padres have put themselves in a position. first of all, if that person who's predicting high 70s wins is willing to put money on it, I will gladly bet a lot of money on the over there. Um, and that leads me to another point, which is that Las Vegas now has the Padres as the tenth most likely team to win the World Series. And Vegas is a little bit reactionary, but at the same time, that is what people are actually putting money on. That is it's, – it's not, it's not you know, someone hiding behind the internet and saying, this is what my computer says is going to happen on the field. That's not what's happening. This is actually real-life people taking the money they have earned and placing it on what they think is a wise investment. Well, and, and also
0: oddsmakers yes. odds who have money riding on them uh, – and are evaluated based off their performance and how how accurate those odds are. I mean, they've got professionals developing those odds as well, and I, yes. I think they're eighteen to one right now. The last ones that I saw. Yep, that's what I, I've seen that at a couple different outlets. And, and it was up from seventy-five to one. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so I trust that way more than I trust the the analysts at FanGraphs or at Beyond the Box Score or wherever whatever outlet it is. I think at this point. And this is before the Padres even make any additional moves. I think the baseline for their win-loss total right now is somewhere like 84.5. Um, so, I mean, and, and I yeah, do and think the Dodgers think have gotten a little worse. I do think the Giants have maybe regressed a little bit, although they do get Matt Cain back. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the, the Rockies potentially selling. I, I don't want to underrate the, the fact that, you know, you play those teams a lot, 19 times each. And if they're all getting a little bit worse... that all works in the Padres' favor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about it. I mean, this has backfired on the Padres more often than not. But you've got players like Morrow and Josh Johnson that could easily outperform their projections if they're healthy. And and a lot of the the lack of value that Beyond the Box War was talking about was based off the pitching staff, actually. I mean, he's the one who posted that uh, they were only 27th in war out of their starting rotation last year. Um, their relief staff was marginally better than replacement given that they earned 7.4 war. So, I mean, and that's based off of my earlier comments in the podcast, that there's room for improvement in this, in this rotation. At the same time, I think Morrow and Johnson are probably the best candidates for outperforming what his computations are showing them to have earned in 2015.
1: Yeah. And then a lot of this is also based on fielding metrics. And I've said this before, and I want to emphasize it every time we talk about this because the so fielding metrics are not based on, for example, a computer tracking a player's movement and saying, this person gets this type of jump off the ball, and you know balls are hit at this speed off the bat this frequently, and so they can field this percentage of the balls. That's not how they do the, uh, the defensive metrics. There was actually um, a project, I want to say, by Baseball Info Solutions a couple years ago to do that, and they actually failed to deliver, and that was disappointing uh, for major league teams. So the metrics they're going off of are still just where the ball was fielded, who fielded it, uh, and, you know, the speed of the ball off the bat. But it's not based on actually tracking the defensive player. And so that leads to questions like defensive positioning um, and, and different things that I think the Padres might do better than the Dodgers did. So it might help Matt Kemp's statistics. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of unpredictability there in fielding statistics, and I would rather bet on the more predictable ones, which are offensive production. That is the most – the year-to-year, year, the highest correlator is batting runs, and it's not fielding UZR, which is what's used for the fielding runs comp- uh, The fielding runs component of wins above replacement. So I, I as, as much as I do look at it and I say, yeah, the Potters outfield defense next year with Matt Kemp, Will Myers, and um, Justin Upton is going to be below average, I don't think that's what I'm arguing. What I'm arguing is that I don't think it's going to be historically awful. I, I don't. And that was basically the premise. So Fangraphs had an article. I'll link them to it here. Uh, Dave Cameron basically looked at teams that tried to do what the Padres are doing, which is have three uh, hitting-based outfielders, you know, power outfielders, and just saying to hell with outfield defense um, and how that turned out. But the error there was that he was looking at how it turned out and then comparing that to the Padres' prediction. But that doesn't include teams that were like the Padres that were predicted and the keyword there is predicted to have bad outfield defense uh, in exchange for high offensive seasons, but that didn't turn out. And that would be the, the true comparison there. So um, I don't think that article was analyzed well. Like that's well, not He analyzed. also
0: totally ignored – I mean, like he cited the Reds. Um, it was the Reds' year where they had like Austin Kearns, Griffey, and someone else in the outfield. And he's like, well, they only won 74, 74 games that, that year. So it was a failure. But, I mean, he failed to analyze every other position. I mean, to make that determination that it was the outfield's fault, the outfield defense fault, he, he didn't establish any kind of causality to the outfield defense to the fact that they won 74 games. I mean, there's a multitude of other factors that went into that. And then he cited Seattle a couple of years ago. And if you look at – I mean, the guys that they had in their outfield were terrible at defense for sure, but they weren't the offensive – caliber of the Padres outfield right now. I mean, it's like Michael Saunders and, and Raul Abanez and one other guy. I mean, it's, it's not nearly a fair comparison. And I wasn't really clear on, on how he was doing that analysis.
1: Yeah. So I guess the, the main takeaway here is because I'm getting a little wordy is that um, I, I like the fact that the Padres are betting on offense, something that's much more predictable um, then defense and, and they'll deal with defense. I, I again the offseason is not even close to over. I, I don't know how
0: No, I think it'd be foolish to assume that it is. Yeah. I mean with all that with all those outfielders sitting there, I mean something's gonna happen. Yeah.
1: Okay, well do you want to move on to some listener questions or what do you want to do?
0: Yeah, let's hit those listener questions. Okay. So
1: let me see here. Um Let's see. So this is sort of what we just talked about. This one comes from Tim uh, Tom Snooks T Snooks thirty seven on Twitter. Did the Padres do enough offensively to support our pitching staff for this year?
0: Um, I wouldn't say enough. I mean, they've helped them a lot, but I don't think it's fair to say that this is the finished product. I mean, well, this might be <laughs> this might be the finished offensive product actually. Um, I, think, I mean, I just read this morning that it's likely the Padres didn't win the posting for uh, for Kong. Uh, so I wouldn't actually be surprised if Alonzo and Barmas slash Amaristo were in our infield and that this is our final offensive lineup. I, mean, I don't know I, if that's I, enough, but I think that's what we've got. Yeah, so there's a couple
1: parts to this. Again, this is something I said last podcast. I feel like I'm repeating myself sometimes, but –
0: I think well, they did enough Three emergency podcasts in a week, so.
1: That's true. I think they did enough offensively in the sense that I think the Pottery's offense is going to be well above average now, but uh, at the expense of defense, which is just something I just talked about. Um, so, you know, the defense might let the Pottery's pitching staff down this year. Additionally, we just discussed this about half an hour ago. The Pottery's pitching isn't as good as fans think, at least to starting rotation, especially now that they've traded, you know, a lot of that depth. So. Um, I, I want to say uh, yes. They added enough offense. They need to do something about the defense still, um, or continue to add offense, like a shortstop, for example, um, and and even add to that pitching staff themselves. So I think there's still additions that need to be made uh, made in order to make them true, real favorites for the World Series.
0: Yeah, I'd say I'm officially more scared about the pitching than I am about the offense at this point.
1: Yeah. All right. Here's here's one from Don Enrique, 44. Um, will the Padres fire Bud Black if we finish under 500 in 2015? Yes. Yeah, I don't. I actually, I'm going to go ahead and say no, but that's because his contract will be gone, so they won't. Oh, have that's to a good
0: fire point. Him. Yes, yes, a technicality.
1: Yes, a, a small technicality there. But you know, maybe if they start really poorly, they'll fire him early in the season.
0: I yeah, I mean, they've got a lot invested in 2015.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's a sunk cost thing. I mean. They're already paying Bud Black in 2015, no matter whether they fire him in April or have him play out the whole season. So uh, if they feel like they have to make an actual, uh, you know, change there, they they might do that.
0: But yeah, I think there's no doubt he he. If they finish under 500, that he will not be the 2016 manager here. Yeah.
1: Okay, so then let me see here. Let me try to pick out another good one. Um, Uh, i don't know there's a there's a lot there's a lot to pick from i think we've addressed most of these actually without even directly answering him um how about this one it's not really a question it's more a comment not to be picky but the lineup is heavy right-handed especially if seth smith is on the way out and that one comes from bill bradsky
0: um i mean it is um I haven't really done any research or looked at any analytics on whether that matters that much or how much that matters. I mean, it matters, but I'm not sure how much. Um, I'm also not convinced that Seth Smith, Seth, Seth Smith is going somewhere. Um, he actually fills perfectly the role of you know, the first bat off the bench. Um He's very athletic, uh, he's good OBP, he can play the outfield. Uh, I mean, we've all speculated that maybe he'll play first base. I mean, he was a former SEC quarterback, so he has some athletic skills all around. I, I, I think that is going to do his best to dump Quentin's contract on someone, probably eating a bunch of it, and I think he's going to get rid of Venable um, and keep Smith. But, um, you know, either way, they're going to keep one of Venable and Smith as the left-hander off the bench – Impossible, you know, fill-in in the outfield if needed. But there's not much you can do at this point. I mean, you've got Yonder left-handed, and then you've got a bunch of right-handed hitters. I mean, like we just said, I, I think this offensive lineup is pretty much set.
1: Yeah, and I'm not even necessarily mad at having all these right-handed hitters. One, because I think Petco is a little bit more favorable to them. I know the metrics are a little bit mixed on this, but I think if you have right-handed pull hitters, I think those are the people least affected by the marine layer uh, and the Petco Park dimensions, yes. which are increasingly favorable, by the way, as they move in the fences a little bit more. And I don't think that's negligible. I, I really don't, I know it's only like, what,
0: two, two, three feet in left field. But yeah, I mean, that's the whole reason we have Alonzo, because the metric showed that his opposite way hitting played better in Petco Park. I mean, hitting it towards left field is the recipe for, for maintaining power there.
1: And it's not just this either. It's you look at the rest of the divi- the division, and the number one starter on both the Giants and Dodgers are both left-handed.
0: Yeah, very true. Robert
1: Clayton Kershaw, and so having a very right-handed heavy lineup, and and also Matt Kemp and Justin Upton. This was something that was shown on a bunch of graphics at MLB uh, on MLB Network. They both have very good career numbers at PECO, and and Matt Kemp talked about this in his press conference. He likes hitting at PECO. He said that he thinks the uh, the batting eye in center field is a little bit wider and darker and better than it is at a bunch of other ballparks, um, and I think that's more important than handedness.
0: Yeah, I mean, overall, I'm not, I'm not concerned. I, I certainly don't think they should make moves just for the sake of adding left-handers. I mean, for a long time, we said that that the team had that their power hitters were too left-handed. I mean, that that was said a bunch of times with with Giles and with, with Aegon sometimes, and in Klusko uh, too. Yeah, Klesko, I mean, uh, this is what people have been clamoring for, right? Acquiring players that fit the park better. So, no, I'm not. I'm not overly concerned at all about it. No, I'm. I'm not either. And and I do think
1: there's again, there's still a lot of time left this offseason. I, I don't think, you know, you just mentioned Venable, Maven, Quentin, Seth Smith. I, I think there's those guys are still moving parts at this point, and maybe they will bring back a shortstop that hits left-handed or something. I, I really don't know. I mean.
0: And and like like we talked about last episode, there's still the the possibility of the Japanese shortstop as well. Yeah,
1: and uh, the Padres have been rumored to have placed or have made a contract offer on Tori Tommy. so we'll see.
0: And promised him that he could play shortstop, which is what he wanted, because some teams are trying to convert him over to second base.
1: Yeah, and and I do agree with you, and the Twitter rumors are out there that the Padres did not win the bidding on Japanese shortstop Kong or Kang, however you want to say it. Uh, and I knew that last night actually when I saw the bid amount. So the the winning bid was five million dollars, two hundred or five million two thousand and fifteen dollars. Obviously two thousand and fifteen in reference to the upcoming season. The Padres, when they won the bid on Kim, the left-handed reliever who they did not sign, they didn't have some weird dollar figure like that. So I kind of I kind of assumed it wasn't the Padres when I saw that.
0: Yeah, I think that's what they call panache in the business. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: showmanship, so, yeah. And look, he only got $5 million, and that's – I think if every major league general manager is bidding that low on him, I I guess he probably wasn't going to be a real impact player. Although I still would have liked to have seen them win that bid.
0: Yeah, and I I would have liked to at least seen seen them win the bid because as we talked about, there's really no penalty for failing. Yeah, there's none at all. (laughs) At the same time, Toritani is a free agent, so – I don't think it's going to be going through the same posting process. That'll just purely be, you know, wooing the player. And, you know, for the first time ever, if if you're in favor of getting Toritani, um, for the first time ever in the Padres fan base, you can say, thank God that we had Tadahito Iguchi in 2008. Because he was actually quoted as saying he talked to Iguchi about playing in San Diego and found it very favorable to the Japanese player. Really? Yeah. I did not see that, but that is... This was in one of the uh, one of the... Harsh, harshly translated uh, Japanese articles about it. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I guess Gucci's still playing in Japan, so they actually talked about San Diego.
1: Okay, well, I I, I do want to stress that the Kong bid is not official. I haven't seen that. Um,
0: you know. Yeah, but by the time we post this, uh, you, they may have announced. I think they're supposed to announce it on Monday, but
1: yeah, and I and now that I do some more
0: digging, C.J. Nikowski – Former major league relief pitcher um, did tweet that he thinks the Padres did win it, so I don't know. Who knows? Well, then he retracted. He retracted right after that. Once oh, he okay, the Haman uh, the Haman rumor. Okay, well, whatever the
1: case, I, I think what we're both saying is the the roster's not done yet. So uh, let's not get our. First of all, I don't think you and I care necessarily if it's right-handed heavy, but also no. the wa- roster's just not done. Correct. So. Yeah. Okay, let's let's do one last one here. Um, this is from Grumpy Fryer. I think he, like myself, are, are going to have to change our uh, Twitter handles. Do the Padres need a top-end starter like Scherzer or Hamels to be legitimate contenders in
0: 2015? Um, I, I think so, honestly. If you want them to win the World Series next year, then yes, I think so. Uh, I'd much rather have Scherzer uh and probably shields than hammels but um just based off of not having to give up anything for them but other than money uh but yeah i think to some degree that we need another pitcher another arm especially one that we're confident is going to pitch the whole season
1: yeah i think they need someone with upside and you know i i before answering this i went back and looked at the world series winners for the last you know decade just to see you know what their pitching looked like and and not just the World Series winners, but teams that got close. And, you know, look, you look at last year with the Kansas City Royals, Giordano Ventura came out of nowhere and just dominated, right? Madison Boomgarner for the Giants did the same thing a couple of years back, and, and last year, you know, really dominated. But the Padres don't have a prospect coming through the system with that sort of upside that might be able to contribute late in 2015 and give them some big postseason starts. I think Matt Whistler, you know, is maybe a – if if he has a good year, could be a number three starter, but I don't think the Padres have that guy, and so they need to add one if they want to be serious, legitimate contenders. So,
0: yeah, I mean, as a Padres metaphor, I mean, we need our Kevin Brown. You know, if we're gonna try, if and it looks like we are, it looks like they're going for it in 2015. If you're gonna go for it, then I think you got to go for it. And and really, I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure if Shields is the guy that we would be needing to be confident of having a world series team. I think Scherzer's the the guy that's left.
1: Yeah. Or yeah, maybe trading for Cole Hamels. And I know we both like uh, signing players over trading, but I mean, at this point, if they're not giving up major league production and if, if they could find, you know, another way to not trade hedges, Renfro and Whistler and get back Cole Hamels, I'm going to be all for it. I don't care about the depth anymore. at The minor league level.
0: I think that they're invested so invested in 2015 now that if you're going to go for it, I want them to go for it right. And if that means sacrificing more of the future, uh, I mean, you've already sacrificed a lot uh, to get here. 2015 is pretty pretty critical. You know, they they put so much into it. They've they've invested so much of their farm system into this that um, yeah, you're right. If they if they if they need to get if they need to do a trade to get Hamels, then then give up whatever at this point almost- trade. At this point, trade hedges for for it, Hamels if
1: needed. It almost makes me confused why they didn't try to bring back Matt Latos, because he got traded for not a lot of value.
0: Well, I mean, he's another buy low candidate, though. You know, he's he's he's. I'm not confident he's a, he's not the number one pitcher that that we're just now talking about that we need. I mean, he's right, another about, he's another Brandon Morrow. Yeah. How
1: about how about someone? Like, well, I think he's better than Brandon Morrow. He's and, a little better, yeah. And, and probably a, bet, a much better bet at actually giving you innings, although he's not without some health concerns himself. But uh, another guy out, out there on the list that is being rumored is Johnny Cueto in Cincinnati. That would he, be,
0: And he's the kind of guy we need. I mean, we need someone on that level. We need a number and, one ace type picture, pitcher. And,
1: there, and the reason I bring him up is because he's at the end of his rookie contract. He's going to be a free agent. So he might be more affordable than paying Max Scherzer $200 million or paying – uh, the re- remainder of Cole Hamill's contract, and in, in addition to trading stuff for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the assumption is he probably is close to the close to the value of Justin Upton trade value wise, and so if we could duplicate what we did, maybe even if we had to throw in, a, you know, a Whistler, we can, you know, a Whistler uh, or hedge is one of those. I mean, I think that again, I think that they they're so deep into 2015 that they need to to finish it. You know. Yeah, I agree with you there. Don't go cheap with the rest of it. You know you're invested. Just go for it.
1: Yeah, it's at this point. It's in poker. You, you call this pot odds, right? Like you've already. It doesn't matter how many chips you've already put in. Um, it's it's a matter of whether the the next chip you're going to get gives you additional value. Right. In in comparison to the rest of uh, what you stand to win. So.
0: Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about here? I think that's it. I mean, we're, we're, we've recapped possibly the best week of Padres offseason ever. Uh, we've recapped the immense changes to the change of Padres philosophy as now not only a season ticket holder, a member of the Padres.
1: Okay, so this is off off the – I'm want to edit this out, but do you want to talk about change of Padres quickly at all or no?
0: No, nah, uh, leave it to your posts, I think. We can talk about that on the next podcast. Okay, sounds good. Maybe even Hacksaw will talk about it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, who knows?
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I guess that's going to do it today. This was a long, long podcast again, but that's good. That means that A lot to recap. Interesting things are happening. And not, I guess not just interesting, but like revolutionary as a Padres fan. This is a revolution, a new era for the Padres. Yeah, historical. All right. Until next time, which will probably be tomorrow after AJ Preller makes five more trades, go Padres.
0: Go Padres.